I saw. Uh, I didn't bring it up at prayer prayer requests because uh, it's not that big of a serious issue. But um, this week, I don't know something about being in your forties, mid, early, somewhere in the forties. You start <laughs> you start start getting sore for no reason. You know, used to be if I was hurt or sore. It would be because I played football or I did something. Now it's, you know, I slept. And so I wake up and I'm sore. So I've got this soreness here. And then Bertillaria has uh, some tinnitus going on. So it just happens as we go. I know what we need because I saw a um, Facebook post. We need essential oils. I just don't know which one to use. So if you know which one I should pour on my arm to fix it all, that would be wonderful. All right, First Samuel 26. Last week we looked at the opportunity that, the opportunity that David had to kill Saul for the second time. And we've seen two instances where doing things in God's timing is always best, even when it seems convenient to do the wrong thing. And we've been learning the lesson that David was uh, really uh, shown in here, and that is doing right when wrong is easy. You ever find yourself there? Wrong is really easy. Doing right is hard, and yet we need to do right. Sometimes right is not the easy route to go. So David has stopped Abishai from killing Saul. That's where we ended last week. Now let's see what happens next as we begin to read in verse number 13. This is after they snuck into camp. This is after David said, hey, grab his canteen and his sword and uh, let's, or spear and let's skedaddle up the hill. All right, verse number 13. Then David went over to the other side, kind of the valley there, stood on top of a hill far off, a great space being between them. And David cried to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who art thou that criest to the king? And David said to Abner, Art not thou a valiant man? And who is like unto thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept the Lord thy king? For there came out of, or there came one of the people in to destroy the king thy lord. The thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, ye are worthy to die, because ye have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is, and the cruise of water that was at his bolster. The bolster is another word for head there. And Saul knew David's voice and said, Is this thy voice, my son David? That's hilarious. Trying to kill him for months on end, and then he gets taken. Hey, buddy. Is, uh, and David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Wherefore doth my lord thus pursue after his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in mine hand? Now therefore I pray thee, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord have stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the lord, for they have driven me out of this day from abiding in the inheritance of the lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Father, I pray you'd help us here in these verses to learn something to apply to our own lives. We pray in Jesus' name. So another reason David gave for stopping the assassination of Saul here is that it was not necessary. God's work does never requires us to violate his laws to accomplish it. And so, and knowing he should not lift his hand against the Lord's anointed, even because his men both times said, the Lord has, he set this all up for you. God has delivered him into your hands. And David said, no, I'm not going to violate his principles to do what I think might be his work because that never, ever, uh, those, th that is never required. 
His purpose does not violate his laws. So in verse 13, they go to the other side of the valley, and uh, we see the communicating here. Uh, David raises his voice and talks with Abner, but he does so. It's interesting. He says he cried to the people and to Abner. He's speaking to Abner, but he's doing it in view and in sight, <coughs> I mean, in hearing of all the people. His speech has several main points, and the first is he rebukes the protector. David first directed his words to Abner, but he wants others to hear also. Abner was the top officer in Saul's army, the chief of his security, you could say, and it was a poor choice by Saul, as it turns out. He was uh, chiefly responsible for the security of the camp. He was there to protect, make sure that nobody was able to penetrate, and David's visit uh, to the literally Saul's side proved that Abner had failed miserably in his job, and David calls him out for it. This is a great tactic, by the way, in any time you're having a negotiation or trying to drive home a point, uh, begin with the interest of the other party. And that's what he did. He's talking about the safety of the king. He's not talking about himself yet. He's talking about the safety of Saul. Uh, so let's not, whenever we're talking with others, we don't want to be selfish. First of all, we speak to their interest, and that's what David did. He cried to the people and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not Abner? This is like in our time, yelling out, Abner, wakey, wakey. And he's waking him up. To the shouldn't have been asleep, all right. Should have been guarding. Should have been uh, awake here. And so, waking him up was a great embarrassment to him, and it was done in the hearing of the entire army. David cried to the people so that they would hear it as well. He's putting Abner on the spot for his failure to protect the camp and especially King Saul. Now, Abner's response to David's interesting because it's typical for men like him. He's much more interested in position than he is performance. A lot of people are more interested in position than they are performance. They like recognition. They like plaques. They like the red carpet rolled out. They like to be in front. But they're not so interested in performance. Well, this was Abner. Look what his response was. Uh, it was not one of character. It was scorn. Who art thou who criest to the king? Who do you think you are waking up the king? Now, this is pretty hypocritical of Abner. He failed to protect Saul's life. So Saul, because of him, might never have woken up. And now he is criticizing someone for possibly waking up the king. He did what hypocrites always do. He emphasized the mote in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam in thy own eye. Remember Jesus said that, Matthew 7, 3. So look at the accusation. David comes back with. David said to Abner, Art not thou a valiant man, and who is like in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept the Lord thy king? For there came out of the people in to destroy the king, my lord. Uh, Abner was rightly accused of failing to properly guard Saul. That was his job. And this was especially bad because of his high position. This is what his whole job was. He was a, 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 a great man in position, but he was a poor man in doing his duty. Again, we can use that in, in Christian circles as well. Having a title or a high title does not mean that you're going to be faithful in your duty. Sometimes the people aren't faithful, and then others who have no title are more faithful. He had a title, he just wasn't doing good with it. Abner was the top general of Israel's armed forces, and he ought to have showed himself worthy. Sometimes the higher one's position is, uh, the greater is his sin when he falls. And this was Abner. David's accusation is a clear representation to Saul who his real friends are. Uh, here David's saying essentially, 
let's, let's see who the king's friends are here. Is it you that neglected him and let, left him exposed or me that protected him when he already was exposed? Who was a better, who was a better, I ask you, who was a better friend to Saul, David or Abner? Well, that's what we've been talking about all along. David has not done anything wrong. He has been faithful to Israel. He's been faithful to Saul. He hasn't hurt him when he could. Uh, it's Saul that is the wicked one hunting David. So he wanted to show Saul that he is more faithful to him than his own head of security, and he proved it. I, I, I love how the Lord uses this illustration because, or this instance here. David could have so easily done wrong and killed Saul. Nobody would have blamed him. But when he does the right thing, God uses those circumstances to incredibly vindicate him. And this is what's happening here. So Abner's service to Saul was much more inspired by position than it was by patriotism or duty. He did not uh, look at the job as important enough to actually stay awake and do it, but he uh, sure enjoyed his position, no doubt. He's the definition of a fair-weather friend. And whenever someone is friendly to you only because of your position or what they can gain from you, that's not a true friend. And Abner was not that. David was a much truer friend to Saul, ironically, than Abner was. Look at the charge, verse 16. As the Lord liveth, ye are worthy to die, because ye have not kept your master the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the cruise of water that was at his bolster. He's waving him up. See where the spear is? See where his canteen essentially is? I got him right here. That's clear evidence that David was down there and took them from him. And this is actually pretty hilarious to me. The man with a death sentence on his head is proclaiming a death sentence on the man chasing him. I think that's hilarious. How's that for irony? He's the one with the death sentence, and he's telling the guy who's trying to kill him, you're worthy to die. Hey, God can always turn your situations around on you. I, I just love this. If we, we see it over and over through the Bible, and of course we see it in our lives too, he can so quickly turn the tables. We don't have to jump ahead of him. We don't have to stop trusting him. We don't have to go over the line and do wrong to accomplish the purpose we think he ought to be accomplishing. Just trust him. He's in control. And David did, and now it's showing the uh, Lord's working this out. He says you're worthy to die. Any military man knows this is a true statement. Uh, failure at the watch brings debt. Many armies, uh, even, at, at, even in present day or, or recent days, in, in times of war especially, uh, that can come with the death penalty. And so one who goes to sleep on the watch puts all of his fellows in danger. And look at this irony. Saul was chasing one, David, who protected him from death, and he was employing one, Abner, who was not protecting him from death. Again, Saul thinks he's in charge. Saul thinks he's all, he's, he thinks he's the man. And over and over and over again, God's showing him, you're not really in charge. I can end this for you anytime I want to. He, you'd think he'd learn. And we look at Saul and we think, what a thick-headed fool. And yet you'd think we'd learn sometimes. And we don't do much better at times than Saul did. Abner couldn't argue against this accusation because David's holding the spear in the canteen. He's got him up there on the hill, so he knows he can't argue about it. Uh, David needed evidence. That's why he told uh, his Abishai in verse 11, hey, on our way out of camp, when we're not killing Saul, go ahead and grab his spear and his canteen there. We might need them later, and now we see the reason for it. 
It proved that David was close enough to Saul to kill him easily, could have done it, chose not to. This is a great example of the rewards of doing right. It would have felt good. In fact, Abishai almost begged David, let me take him out. I'll only hit him once. I'm going to hit him twice. I'm only going to take one blow. I'll take care of him right now. He eagerly wanted to take care. It would have felt good to end the chase. you got to remember for months and months and months, they've been out and living like animals out in the wild when he's chosen to be the next king. And yet he's living like an animal chased as a fugitive. It would have felt good to drive a knife into the heart of Saul. But this is so much better because it proves the righteousness and character of David. And, and when you, my dad has told me this phrase several times over, if you win a victory, that's good, but it's a shaky victory. But if God wins a victory for you, it's a victory indeed. And here God's, God's winning the victory because David did the right thing. And that's what we want in our life. It's always better to do things in God's timing and doing things in God's way, even when it is easy to do wrong. And then not only does he reprove Abner, but he also reproves the king here. Now Saul was awake. Verse 17, Saul knew David's voice <laughs> and said, Is this the voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, O Lord, my king. That's rich. Hey, my good buddy David, when he sees what happened, he's such a slime ball, Saul is. He's just a slime ball. Just one of those that goes after opportunity. And as soon as he sees, you know, he probably did this number, you know, feeling his neck, knowing it could have been cut really easily just moments before. And now he's all nice, playing nice with David. And David doesn't mess around. Look at verse 18. Wherefore doth my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore I pray thee, let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord have stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord. Um, so David pleads ignorance of any wrongdoing because he had none. There was no wrongdoing of him against Saul. And he asks him, why are you chasing me again? Remember, Saul had just at the cave of Engedi, he had just promised that he's not chasing him anymore. And he went home and uh, supposed to, this was over. He had said, you are more righteous than I. That's what he told David in chapter 24, verse 17. So this renewed chase obviously required some explanation. And that's what David's asking for. Now, he volunteers two possible explanations for the chase. Before Saul answers him, he gives him two possible reasons. The first one has to do with God stirring up Saul. This, I think, is referring to the evil spirit that had bothered Saul. Uh, and if that's the case, uh, let's make an offering to God. Modern words, we would say, let's get right with God, okay? That's what Saul really needed, was to get right with God. If you're dealing with this evil spirit, why was Saul dealing with an evil spirit? Because he was doing the wrong thing in his life, and he was disobeying God at every turn. And so David said, now, nah, if, if, if you're experiencing this and you feel like it's coming from this evil spirit again, then get right with God in your life. You know how much in our life could be fixed if we'd get right with God? Start obeying, just start doing the things that he says to do, like read the Bible and pray and go to church and forgive others and give and be kind to others, as even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Once we would start doing the things God wants us to do, how much better our life would be. This will fix many uh, wrongs and trials and troubles in your life if you just do what God wants you to do.
But he gave a second one. If you're stirred up by men who slander me, they shouldn't be believed. Cursed be they, he said. How many times are we going the wrong direction, doing the wrong thing at the behest of others? David is innocent of any wrongdoing against Saul, and uh, he makes that clear. And so he gives these, listen, you shouldn't be, uh, if, if, if this is a spiritual matter, get right with God and he'll direct you the right way. If it's a peer pressure matter, cursed be those that lead you the wrong direction. Don't You shouldn't be following uh, the wrong path spiritually, and you shouldn't be following the wrong path uh, physically. So these are, uh, I remember years ago I was in jail uh, preaching, okay, preaching. <laughs> I wasn't arrested. I was preaching in jail. And we had a, I had a pretty big group out, um, and so I asked the, the question, how many of you are here right now, because you listen to the wrong people. And every single hand went up. Everybody, yeah, being around the wrong people, around the wrong influence. And it'll lead us the wrong way, and that's what uh, David's referring to here. Verse 19. This is interesting. They have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. As a tragic result of Saul's pursuit of David, one of the tragic results was that it hindered David's worship of God. And this shows you the heart of David. He didn't complain about the physical problems. He didn't complain that he had to use a rock for a pillow and that it was uh, wet and, and uh, they, they were cold and they were sick half the time because they're living outside like animals and the food was terrible and they're having to scrounge. To, he didn't talk about any of that, but he did talk about the hindrance of his worship. It shows you where his heart was. One of the consequences of evil governments like Saul is they... Uh, those that persecute the godly David and those who are friends with the wicked doegs of life, they hinder the true worship of God. And Saul, of course, did that not only by the, the chase, but also the fact, remember, he murdered all those priests as well. And uh, so he was very anti-God uh, in his government. And how many governments in any time, really, uh, in our world, uh, like Saul, are a hindrance to true worship? Look at verse 20. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. He pleads for his life here in this statement to Saul. It reminds Saul that his evil is before the face of the Lord. God sees all. Uh, the Bible asks a question in Proverbs, Shall he that made the ear not hear? Shall he that made the eye not see? He sees all. He hears all. And so he's just reminding Saul of that. If we were more conscious of the all seeing eye of God, we clean up our lives significantly, both publicly and privately. So look at verse 20 now, uh, continuing. For the king of Israel is come out to seek a flea, as when one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains, comparing himself here to a flea or a partridge. These are things of little worth. That's what David's comparing himself to. He, he's reminding Saul, chasing me is a waste of your time. There's a nation to govern. Probably people were hurting. Probably the economy was down, okay, like it is for us now, okay? Uh, probably the price of eggs was up. And uh, because he's out spending all this money chasing David, he's got 30,000, uh, I mean, however many, 3,000. He has 3,000 men he's having to feed, and, and uh, he's having this big military campaign to try to kill David. David's like, who am I? It's a waste of your time. There's better things for you to do. And the reason is because Saul's priorities were all out of whack going after David when he should have been uh, ruling over a nation. But anyone who rejects God, like Saul did, is going to have that problem. 
anyone who rejects what God wants in their life is going to have the problem of messed up priorities. How many people waste their existence seeking their next effort at satisfaction? Movies, uh, entertainment, relationships, parties, drugs, drinking, all those different things. We could name a whole list of things. And some things that aren't necessarily wicked or evil in and of themselves, they're just distractions from being where we need to be. Yet at the same time, they put no thought into eternity. I think of the rich man in Luke 16, the one that, uh, you know, you remember the guy that he uh, was successful, he built bigger barns, and he said, now I will, uh, my soul will be merry for many days, eat, drink, and be merry. If you ever, if you ever read that story, we have this built in because of some of our society, plus we've read that story with, I think, a little bent. But we read that story and we automatically think, ah, rich man, wicked guy. The Bible says nothing about him being wicked. In fact, he was hardworking. He earned it all himself. He didn't get it on the dole. Uh, he was not greedy because there's a time that he had enough. He was not a miser because he said he would spend it and he would use it to enjoy himself and enjoy his life. Uh, eat, drink, and be merry does not mean he was a drunkard. It just means eating and drinking and, and uh, enjoying life. Uh, I think that he was a perfect picture of what we would call a very successful man here in America. He worked hard. He earned. He planned ahead. And he set up all these things. And then there was a time in his life he says, you know what? I don't need more. I'm not greedy. I'm just going to take this and I'm going to enjoy the rest of my life. But yet God called him a fool. And we often think that, well, that's because he was a thief and a robber. And he, and he it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that. What he did do, though, he did all these things independent of God. Didn't think about eternity, and that's what made him a fool. We can do good all our life, as far as society speaking. We can work hard and obey the law, and if we do it without the without the uh, the, the view of eternity in mind, we don't prepare for eternity. That makes us a fool, and that's I think why that man was a fool. Priorities will be all out of whack, is what I'm trying to say. Look at the response. Verse 21, then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm. Would you? Come on back and work for me again, David. Come to the palace. Would you go back? <laughs> I don't think I would. And David, you know, he says, hey, I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. <laughs> I was born at night, but not last night. And so he said, not, not going not gonna to do that. And he didn't wisely. But Saul was acknowledging his evil here. And seldom did he speak truer words than what he spoke here. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. He said in this verse he had sinned, he had, he had been stupid, and he had strayed, and he was right on all three counts. He makes no claim of any righteousness here, but says, I have sinned. Probably this was more remorse than repentance. He's still rubbing his neck thinking he could have just lost it. I don't think there was true repentance in Saul. Time, time always tells us whether repentance is true or not. And it told us that was Saul. He was foolish in chasing David, but it wasn't the only way he played the fool. Samuel told Saul in chapter 13, verse 13, we talked about this probably a couple of months ago, thou hast done foolishly. Remember Samuel told that to him? And now Samuel's already dead and gone, and Saul is still doing foolishly, still playing the fool. He played the fool when he disobeyed God. He played the fool when he was more interested in man's honor than he was in God's honor. He played the fool when he forsook good company like Samuel and David and Jonathan for bad company like Doeg and Abner. He, uh, he played the fool when he forsook good counsel like Samuel, Jonathan, or David and 
Later, he sought out a witch. He, he, didn't, uh, he wasn't any good in, in all those choices that he made. Look at the appeal in verse 21. He says, return. Essentially, come back. I will do thee, I'll no more do thee harm. Now, he admits he's doing David harm, but he won't do it anymore. Of course, <laughs> David wasn't that dumb, so he didn't go back uh, with Saul at that time. Uh, the, I, I think it's interesting. David shows his distrust. Uh, let's come over here. Uh, which, voice, uh, which verse we have here? Oh, verse 22. He shows this distrust here. And David answered and said, Behold the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and fetch it. David doesn't even take the spear back to camp. That's how much he doesn't trust Saul. Much less is he going to go back to the palace. And would you? I wouldn't. Saul has over and over proved what a slime ball he is. And so he doesn't trust Saul at all. Uh, he has seen too much to be trapped by Saul's false repentance. And he needed to, uh, Saul needed to show his sincerity with some time. Sometimes when trust is violated, it needs to be earned back. And by the way, sincere people understand this, and they don't have any problem with it. And they're willing to earn that back. Verse number 23. The Lord delivered thee into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. Once again, remind Saul the evil he could have done, but he did not. Uh, the Lord delivered thee in my hand doesn't mean that's what God wanted him to do. He just said, providence encouraged assassination. I could have very easily done it, but he would not disobey God's word about his anointed. Again, God will never ask you to violate his laws or his word to accomplish his purpose. Never. And so we need to be very careful about that. Now, Saul, or David was more interested in how God viewed him than how others viewed him. Look at verse 24. And thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Let him deliver me out of all tribulation. I love that. It's essentially in a roundabout way saying, Saul, I don't care what you think, but I do care what God thinks. So he said, I... In, in my eyes, your life has value. But I hope that my life has value in God's eyes. This is good stuff. Now, don't miss that part of it there. Because Saul didn't care what God thought of him. He's long since abandoned trying to please the Lord. But David hasn't. He's still there. I, I'm not looking for value in your eyes. You, you say all these things, you can say all that, and that's fine. But I, I want him, I want him to value me. And uh, that is how we ought to live. We always ought to live our life to please an audience of one. An audience of one is a lot easier pleased than an audience of 100 or 200 or 300 or 10. Amen? Especially if you're talking Baptists. 10 Baptists are hard to please. Amen? Uh, look at 25. Saul says to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things, also shalt still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. The conversation ends with Saul's recognition of David's future. Uh, he knows he's on the way out. David's on the way in. This acknowledgement of truth comes a little too late to help Saul. Like so many people in this world, he acknowledges the truth after it's too late to do any good. What if he in the very beginning just been faithful to God and just obeyed God and did what God said and was faithful to what Samuel said to do and, and uh, followed the prophet and, and did what the preacher said? Uh, he could have prevented a lot of trials and troubles in his life if he'd have just done right. It's a great tragedy to wait until it's too late before acknowledging the truth. And all 
hey, everybody in hell understands that very clearly. The Bible says there's going to come a day when every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow. Better to do it before it's too late, amen, than to do it after it's too late. It doesn't do any good then. So let's, uh, let's make sure in our life we're obedient. Thank you, Father, for the passage. I thank you for the examples you give us in Scripture. I pray, Lord, you'd help us as we look at the life of Saul, but really as we've seen lately, it's, it's uh, just about as much the life of David as they're so intertwined. And I pray that you would help us to emulate men of God and the principles of God that we see in your word. Help us, Lord, to have a good testimony the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. You are dismissed.